podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello, welcome to another episode of Scouser Tommies. I'm Jim Boardman, and as always, I'm with Jay Reed as we try to give you a feel of what it's like to be a Red in this city of Liverpool with its little club across the park. Last time we recorded, as we'd recorded, or just after we'd recorded, uh, Liverpool put an announcement out, and basically... I did a little bit at the end talking about what had gone on, but it'd be good to get Jay's view on that. And that's the the, the mess around the Anfield Road stand and the delays to it actually reopening or the upper tier opening up. Um, and of course, it's Derby Week this week, so we'll get on about that. It's that kind of time of year when, yeah, everyone's getting a bit kind of like, even now, even the way Everton are, that kind of mixture of sort of excitement and nerves and all the rest of it. Because no matter what's going on in the league table, it's still kind of the biggest match of the, of the season. Even if like, you know, at the end of everything, it doesn't sort of count for much or does count for much. It doesn't, it's not about that. There's more to it, but I'm sure we'll get into that. But I mean, to start with Jay, that's what happened last week, just after we'd recorded. We sort of said we didn't think the, the stand was going to be open by the time this international break was over. The derby was the target, and that's what we were given at the start of the season. And that's the, the target the club had because they, they sold all the tickets as if it was going to be open. And it struck me when I heard the news that it wasn't going to be done in time, that it was, A, a bit late to suddenly realise it's not going to be done in time. B, the way they cancelled the tickets as well, the way they announced it was not, was just not great, um, especially the way they were saying, don't call us because we'll call you, because obviously they knew they were going to be inundated. Um, you know, the whole thing, I mean, I, I've had my say on it, and I'm not sure there's much more I need to add from what I said, other than um, some of the responses I got on Twitter and some of the, responses i've heard of other people i've spoken to outside of twitter you know um it's really really messing people up and some people have got lucky because they found another way to get a ticket because sometimes you know th- there are ways to get tickets to the match quite often but the people who are trying to do it the way the way it's meant to be done doing all the usual stuff paying the membership and and sitting on hold and all the rest of it on the on the web trying to get the tickets all of that nonsense um they've basically been let down and um it just feels like I mean, we we've criticised the club on and off for years, and we generally speaking, I don't I think we give them the people running the club, we give them a, we give them good press, we we generally kind to them, um, you know, nice to them, we kind of understanding. But for me personally, there can't be any understanding from us about what's gone on in this case because a, a little bit is maybe, but it feels like this was a mess that could have easily been avoided or at least made better than it was. Yeah, um, it's it's a bit of a whole disaster, um, and I don't believe for one minute that you know when when the club found out that they couldn't or the previous um, construction firm were doing it, 
Um, I want to say Bottingham Group off the top of my head. It's the name. Um, went into administration and, you know, we, we encountered difficulties as to, you know, the construction of the stand. You know, that probably should have been the final red, la- red flag, you know, in the sand, really. But surely coming into the summer, you know, the, the ticket sales off the top of my head, um, I want to say we're around about the end of July, first week in August, if I remember correctly. That's when I uh, got mine um, for the season. You know, as a, as a member, um, you know, I had to build up the credits and stuff like the other mass sale. Um, and then obviously fans who haven't got a set number of credits can enter ballots and stuff like that for tickets for games. And, you know, that, that process takes place. And if you get lucky, you might get one or two games in the first half of the season. And then, it's sort of that process begins again around about the end of November, December time. Yeah. So, you know, I'm put on a figure in my mind around, you know, the first week in August. Um, the season was due to begin, I think, two weeks later, and our first home game was scheduled for three weeks later. We would have known, obviously, then, and we did, that the stand was behind. Um, but surely, you know, they, they must have had an idea of, of a realistic you and yes then the derby was the, the, the penciled in in sort of dates as to when it was going to open um, and then when they've encountered difficulties with the, the construction firm and whatever you know I think the process should have probably began then in terms of finding alternative fans with with tickets for games from you know the, the derby this weekend onwards and I think uh, we've got like seven six or seven games between now and um the end of the calendar year as to when fans with, with tickets um through the ballot process or through like, you know, the credit building um process would have been eligible to, to go to a game. Um but obviously things take time, they've changed from one fair to another, but I feel as though the club have sort of sat on their hands and they've they've sort of had hung the fans out to dry on the hope that, you know, it might be ready for the derby and I've said numerous times, I think, as we've done these podcasts over the season, you know, like, that does not look like it's going to be ready. Like, you know, each game I go to Anfield, the only sort of physical signs I can see from from sitting in the stand um, around the ground is, you know, the, the actual seats going in. But, you know, if you if you walk up to the stadium, um, you know, I come from, you know, south of our Anfield Road and so you know I, I walk up in Anfield Road is one of the first things I see and you can physically see into the you know the, the nuts and bolts of the stand especially in the night game when there's like lights on inside and you can see it was still a construction site a few weeks ago when we played Union St. Joe which was you know I think yeah two weeks to now as we record this on a Thursday um, so it was way behind it was never going to be ready and I think we said could it possibly be a case that you know you get all the seats fitted and the basic facilities of allowing, you know, like toilet facilities for fans and maybe a couple of places where, you know, refreshments are available and they hold back on, you know, maybe the fancy corporate bits and they actually get bummed on seats if it was to pass a safety certificate for that. Um, would that have been an option? Especially, I think we said we've got a couple of big games in December. That would have been ideal, but as as you mentioned, the club released a statement and said, you know, basically it's it's going to be twenty twenty four now. And if the the rumored figures are correct, of around about seven hundred fifty thousand the game in terms of 
lost revenue. That's not just through ticket sales alone. It's obviously estimated costs of what people will send, spend on, on refreshments, club shop, uh, merchandise, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, it's it's a, it's a small figure that's getting ever so slightly bigger as each passing game goes on. And um, given between you know the start of the season and the end of the calendar year, you know the the three Europa League games we had one Carabao Cup game at home. Um, I think there was nine league games scheduled in that time, so you know it, it's adding up. Um, but you but you do feel for the fans who who did have tickets, especially you know the the, the chance of getting all of a ticket for Anfield is not easy. Everybody knows that. Um, you know, and I've always said I count myself as a as a lucky individual who gets to go to games on a regular basis. Um, just because I live in the city doesn't mean you're entitled to a ticket. But um, you know. There's people who who maybe only get to Wanfield once in a lifetime because they live overseas, um, or you know that it's financially not the cheapest experience to do. And you know, for fans who have got plans, you know, to maybe travel in, you know, flights into Liverpool, cost the hotel, um, you know, ticket for the game or whatever. It's not, you know, a cheap financial expenditure and. For them to just be told, you know, your ticket's cancelled and basically that's it, I thought was a bit of a smack in the face. And for me, I, I would have maybe liked to have seen a process where there is a surplus of tickets around the ground available each game on a game-by-game sale basis. Now, whatever that figure of available tickets is, obviously the club know and, you know, fans can speculate, you know, if you... If you've ever tried to get one of the members' sale, you would think there's maybe only a half a dozen tickets on the sale because you can be on there and it's gone within a flash. But you would imagine, you know, there's a there's a handy number. And for me, a process that would have maybe allowed the fans who had tickets for each game to maybe enter, you know, a separate source of process where they stood more of a chance to get tickets to a game. You know, if you've if you've been allocated, let's just say, for example, we've got this weekend's derby coming up a ticket for that and there was a, a few thousand fans who were hoping to be seated in the upper Anfield Road and then there's a there's a small pool of tickets available well why not just let those fans you know enter a sale or a process where they can they can try and get tickets for that game you know at least it gives them a better shot rather than the thousands and thousands of fans who may go onto a sale to try and get a small handful of tickets at least it, it gives people a potential to try and get them um, because yeah as I said there's there's a lot of people now left upset and disheartened that you know this could have been their one chance to maybe get to Anfield and experience it um, and yeah it, it's gone and it just sort of feels like it's left a bit of sour taste in the mouth and there is no easy way to resolve this issue um, but yeah it, it's, it's one of them things where you, once again said before like the fans always feel like the last ones to sort of be notified and sort of their feelings and you know especially the finances are sort of just left to you know pity at the bottom of the barrel where as long as everything else seems to be fine then you get the impression it feels as though the club aren't really too bothered um but yeah that's my sort of feeling i don't know there's a lot of people out there who have a completely different view and, you know, people may be more knowledgeable and in areas of expertise or of sort of knowledge that, you know, it can't always be done this way. I just feel as though if you can give those fans, especially who had tickets, 
a, a better shot at getting one um, rather than just refund and, you know, I'm sorry, like, we can't do anything about it sort of thing. You can try and get one in a sale if you want. Um, it just sort of feels like it's back in the face. Yeah, and that, that's it. I mean, they could have said to, to everyone, and this is based on what's, what, what they've just been done. That's not going back to what they did wrong to start with, but they could have said, Right, listen. You, you take it as a shot. We, we those seats will not be available. So here's what we're going to do. We, we've, we've, we've randomly, you know, in whatever groups you've you've sat yourselves in that you put your tickets for, we've randomly sort of sorted you into some kind of random order. And as soon as any tickets are available in any way, we're throwing you in. Um, even to the point where they could have said, you know what, we're going to have to take a hit financially here. Um, are you telling me every single um, hospitality seat is sold that far in advance? I bet it's not. In fact, it won't be. Uh, maybe for the derby, that that's that's an exception, I suppose. But for all those other games, um, I know that there are seats left because someone offered me some hospitality tickets a few weeks back, and I was absolutely shocked at the price of them. And they were knocking them, you know, and they were offering it to me at a way not down price because they couldn't go, um, and it was still an, a horrendous amount. But I just went on the website the day before the game, or even the day of the game, just to see, you know, how much are the tickets normally then, and they were still available. Um, and they are like a good few hundred quid. Well, you know, you, you could you could definitely give those seats, if not the meals, to the people who've lost out on tickets and just find them somewhere and say to them, look, it's not what you paid for in terms of being that seat, but and it's not the whole hospitality gig that you get. Although, to be honest, why not just give it them anyway? Because um, I said last week, I think, what you don't do, just do is you don't just apologise, you don't just give a refund, you don't just give them the credit on the on the purchase. Um, you do something that money can't buy. You know that that could be as many of them as you can get them in hospitality seats. That could be um, every single one of them invited to a, a series of open days at the training ground to meet the players, or or even if the players aren't there, at least go and see stuff behind the scenes for free and things like that. That maybe none of us would normally get to go and do, or not many people would get to go and do. There's lots of things you could do, but it, it still kind of all comes back to me that it was all avoidable in the first place, and I don't see. I just don't see why they sold the tickets. I mean, there's some blindness going on almost to what was in front of them because you were saying, like, when we sort of first announced that it wouldn't be open in time, there's a piece here, there's an interview, um, it's in The Guardian, I'm just trying to find the date. Um, I think it was the 26th of July, let me just check. Yeah, 26th of July. Um, and there's a quote from Andy Hughes, LSE's managing director. Um, and he's saying... Um, it's not quite ready for the Bournemouth game. Now, not quite ready to me is um, there's more than just like a few tiles missing. There's but not much more than that. You know, there's it's not quite ready means you know if we did if we'd had another week we'd have had it done. That to me is what not quite ready is. Not quite ready and still nowhere near ready by October is two totally different things. And the more laughable bit is that. The word that it's not like they're finishing the building off now or anything. They're basically just trying to see what needs doing. They're trying to go through and, and, and see what's needs doing. Now, I understand I'm not in construction. It's a complicated world and there's all kinds of things in place. And I know I keep referring back to the Royal, the Liverpool Royal Hospital. I mean, when that Carillion went bust on that, um, they found that stuff hadn't been done right and they had to sort of redo some of it. So, you know, I'm not sort of for one minute sort of saying don't do anything that's that's that you that you might do that could risk anyone. Don't do anything stupid like that. The club wouldn't, and no one would push them into it. But it just feels like when the tickets were sold, they knew there was a a doubt over those tickets, and they could have said to everyone, um, "Look, we can't sell the tickets 
for that stand because they can't say it's going to be ready. So what we're going to do is anyone who would qualify, we're going to give you, you can pay a fiver for a potential seat. You can pay a fiver to reserve a possible seat. And when we know that it's going to be available, we'll take the rest out of your account. Um, when it, And when we know it's not going to be available, we'll refund your fiver. And everyone would have been happy. Everyone would have been at the, in the queue, wherever they would have been. And... Yeah, you'd be disappointed if you got told three weeks before that the Everton match wasn't now going ahead and they weren't going to take the rest of your money and here's your fiver back. But how different would that have been to saying, um, and I know it's still awkward for people, like the people who've had to book flights, but people have booked flights on the basis that they've got a ticket. You know, it just... And, and also, would you have been picked an Annie Road seat if you knew there was a chance it wouldn't happen? Um, and then the one, one other thing, as I still say this, is... If they'd waited until today to put all the tickets on sale for the Upper Annie because they managed to just about realise it was ready to go, they would have sold every single one for that derby, I'm sure of it. Oh, yeah. I, I was chuckling away when he said that, you know, it, in July, it's not quite ready. Not quite ready. Like, yeah, I, it gives you, I just had the image in my head of, like, you know, you're building a house and, you know, you're on the phone to the construction firm and you go, like, how, how long the way are you? just not quite ready yet and you go around and you basically all up there is the foundation of the companies um you know yeah it's not not quite ready i can see that um you know or maybe you know the, the bricks and water were up but there was no windows and no doors in there but yeah I mean, it's not quite ready yet um but yeah i think like you know the, the suggestions you put out there you know like some sort of compensation for them fans and like you said you know maybe uh, you know offer them something like if there's, if there's fans travelling from overseas or whatever and they've got flights and hotel bus, you know, maybe offer them, like, a complimentary stadium tour or something like that. Like, give them, you know, at least something, um, you know. And... Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. It gives them, you know, at least at least a feeling that you know we do care, um, you know, and there's the slogan that Liverpool use, you know, like this means more. Or, you know, at, at the moment it sort of doesn't. <laughs> like, it doesn't. Nothing means more, like other than you know maybe just taking the finances off you. Um, that's the sort of the feeling you get and okay we're not one of these mega rich clubs and we can just toss money down the drain but you know we're not skidding them either are we yeah this means more to the fans to go to one game at Anfield than it does for what they could possibly do and yeah I think it they, the whole ticketing process is an absolute scandal in terms of you know if anyone that's tried to get tickets as I say it, it's a nightmare um, there's got to be an easy way around it, you know. I'm sure a basic computer program designer could probably design a better system than the one that currently is in operation to to get tickets for. And it's it's a nightmare to do that as well. Um, but 
it does sort of feel like we've been left with egg on our face and you know the, the main I think back to when the main stand opened I think we missed you know we rescheduled one of our first home games for an away fixture and I think that first home game with the opening of that stand was like September mm. and that was sort of you know the, the dream again now as you mentioned you know the construction industry is, is very complicated we don't know anything really about it I do wonder you know the firm who previously built that stand as to why they weren't assigned the job again I don't know you know I'm sure there's people out there with knowledge and reasons as to why Um, you know they went for a different construction firm but to me I would have imagined you know these ones done it previously like the process of building the stand sort of behind around and on top of an existing one and seamlessly you know flowing it one into the other it it worked and okay we were we were a couple of weeks behind you know opening the schedule but now this one has been a disaster because we're not just a couple of weeks we're like we're several months um behind it you know if they were planning for the Bournemouth game where we were not quite ready which was the third or fourth week in August and we're now estimating you know potentially 2024 and it's also going to leave you know a scepticism about fans to if there is sales for tickets you know in in the second half of the season fans are not going to want to go in the upper outfield road just in case this happens mm. and you know maybe the club will be wise to just not even put any tickets on sale for that maybe that's what they will do and and just say we're not putting a ticket sale on until it's fully ready um but yeah let, let's not leave fans down a blind alley and say like you know here's the hope and optimism that you're going to get to a game because you know there's some meaty games in the first half of the season sales like you know we've got the derby this weekend um you know we've got Manchester United Newcastle Arsenal all coming to Anfield before Christmas Day you know they're, they're highly desirable games and I'm sure the club themselves wanted the full stadium for them, but the fans, you know, wanted to to be at them games. And you mentioned it right off the top of the pod about the derby, which we're, we're going to get on to. But when the fixture list comes out at the beginning of the seat or the, in, in, you know, in the summer around like June, July time or whatever, that's the first game I look for. Now, obviously, that is probably because, you know, where you're from, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's... It's the derby. You, you look for City, then you look for United, and then you look for uh, sorry. You look for the derby, then you look for United, then you look for Man City. That's the process I go through in my mind of, yeah. of process of games. And you don't you don't look for Chelsea, dear Chelsea fans who think that we see you as our big rivals or something. We kind of think oh, no. we only think about you later, you know. Yeah, you're sort of in that group as always. Oh, when when do we play Arsenal? When do we play <laughs> Chelsea? Sort of thing. I, you know, at that point you've already started you know, looking at your diaries and making sure like you've not got anything on the, the weekends that you've got the Derby or United or City. Um, you know, other people will look for other games, you know, for, for personal reasons. But yeah, this is the one that I look for first. And, you know, when it comes to, to getting a ticket, like, I want to get a ticket for the Derby. Like, that's that's the, it's, it's a cliche, but it is the hottest ticket in town. Like, if you can get one for that game, um, because it means... A hell of a lot more to to the fans than than most others. Okay, like we've had rivalries as as you mentioned. You know, Chelsea have come and gone and sort of lingered around where they are now, and City have sort of risen as a as a rival in a big game in in recent years due to their funds and wealth. But yeah, it's like it's it's Everton then it's United. But to not have to to think you were going to the derby and then to not be 
able to go and, and the same with you know, you know United and Arsenal in December to think that you you were going to them games. I think Arsenal at the moment subject to change from TV um, is the twenty third. Um, so you know, like you'd imagine people might have even have plans to you know, spend Christmas in Liverpool because that game may even get changed to Christmas Eve, which will be farcical in itself. But you know, you could have been planning to visit the city. Um, you know, and have Christmas here or do a bit of Christmas shopping if you come with family and whatever and, and go to the game and, you know, really make a good experience of it and to just be told, nah, your ticket's gone because, you know, we're, we're not quite ready yet. Um, it, it is a bit upsetting. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, even then, I mean, just thinking as you're talking then, it's this, it's the same, you know, you managed to get a ticket so you didn't, you luckily didn't decide to go on the Upper Annie Road. You've got your ticket and, you can't kind of still plan how you're going to get here. I mean, it's okay for us. I mean, literally, with us, it's a case of we're going to drive, we're going to get the train, the bus, whatever, you know, going to get a lift. Um, are we going to go from town or whatever? You know, for us, it's not, the transport's not an issue really, is it? You know, same choices whenever the games play kind of thing. Maybe um, if you've got kids, you've got to think about babysitters, things like that. But generally speaking, the change of the day is not the end of the world for us for a home game. Um, but for a lot of fans, it is because, you're booking flights and you're booking hotels and you're booking all of this other travel and stuff that you need to do. Um, you know, in some cases, maybe booking time off and you don't know when that game's actually going to take place until the TV companies sit around and decide, which again just adds to the sort of like, you know, the match going fan just comes so down the list of priorities. You know, it's just, um, well, and then the TV watching fan comes down the list of priorities because obviously. If it's not a, if it's a Saturday three o'clock kickoff and the TV haven't picked it, if you're not at the game, if you've not got a ticket to the game, you can't watch it in this country. You know, there's there's so many ways that fans are just coming down and down the list, and it, it's just it's just increasingly frustrating. Um, and another one of those, actually, another one of those frustrations. It's kind of frustrating for the club as well, but um, we might as well mention it because we seem to mention this quite a bit. I'm going to mention it a lot this season. Yeah, kickoff times. So you know, international break. Early kickoff, what, what a surprise! After you know, but even um, the game against Man City, by the sounds of it, is being moved to a half twelve kickoff because, because, and I don't get this for some reason. The police in a city thirty miles away, um, you know, a quick, well, I would say twenty five minute train ride at the most, um, can't handle the idea that a couple of thousand of visitors from another city are going to be coming into their city on a Saturday evening. Um, but they assume that if we get them all in at lunchtime, they'll all be gone before you know before the night time. I just don't get it. I just don't understand how they can say a half five kickoff is dangerous and a half twelve one isn't. It just doesn't make sense, and it feels again like I don't know. It's this stereotyping. I wonder how many other games are gonna they're gonna shift from half five kickoffs at that stadium. Um, I said this before when we've had rivalries with with that city from this city for years, but in terms of football. You ever you look at the policing for a Man United game, and you look at the policing for a Man City game when they come to us, and it's like chalk and cheese. Um, you know, it's a couple of bobbies at the station for the City game, for the United game. There's like two on every door of every train that's coming in from Manchester, and loads of them all around the place. Um, I get that the hostilities increased between us as time's gone on. You know, um, stuff about us welcoming in the coach and one person throws a beer bottle and all of a sudden we're all beer bottle throwing people all of these kind of things people feed into that but I just don't get 
how that can be an excuse to shift our game. And it's always us. And I, I mean, you, you probably remember the numbers, but there's some phenomenal number of games that we've had shifted to that compared to everybody else, way more than anyone else. Like probably three times as much as anyone else. It's just under three times. So uh, this season has been three international breaks in the beginning of this half of the season. And we've had the half 12 after every single one of them. <laughs> um, you know, Wolves away, uh, the diary this weekend, and City away in the November one. Um, you know, it, I think that off the top of it, I think it's 14 since Klopp um, um, became manager of Liverpool. So that's like 2017, I think it is. Um, and the next best or the next team in terms of half 12 kickoffs after the international break is Spurs with six. So it, it's not even compatible. You know, like if it was 14 and the next one was 12 and the next one was like 11 or something like that, you know, you might think, oh, well, you know, there's a there's a source of distribution. No, this is an anomaly. This is this is more than a conspiracy. You know, like people with tinfoil hats can think, oh, you know, it's only the profile and random ravens, but, but why? You know, and, and I think Klopp hit the nail on the head. Um, I think it was the, the last one against Wolves and he was like, you know, you want me to say something, but I'll be labelled as the man who's moaning all the time. But it's always happening. And, you know, he, when when that was sort of leaked uh, a few days ago, I think it was like, the club needs to be onto the Premier League about this or someone because, you know, it, it's not, it wasn't even changed for TV purposes because the TV channel who operates the 12-30 fixture kickoff in England is DNT for BT Sports. Yeah. And... That is the prime time slot of one fixture every single week. They didn't have the rights for the Man City game. Sky Sports had it, and Sky Sports was scheduled to have that game at five thirty on Saturday. They have slipped swap um, TV slots, so Sky Sports have now got this half twelve exclusive. And which is which, is, and, that, and that's a lesser spot. I'm sure Sky paid more for the half five slot than BT. Sorry, TNT pay for the half twelve slot. Yeah, and it, it's it's been swapped, and you know it's it it was changed with uh, let me just get off the top of my head. Uh, Brentford versus Arsenal, um, so you know uh, technically a, a London derby of such, um, but you know Manchester United play Man City in a couple of weeks, and you know much like you know Liverpool versus Everton, and you think oh yeah that's going to nearly kick off because you know there could be potential trouble and stuff like that. They've they've moved that to to five thirty on the on the Sunday afternoon from from the four thirty slot. I don't know why. Um, that hour makes all the difference. But then they've also pushed West Ham versus Everton to the one o'clock slot. Um, you know, so Sky Sports can get their own double header in. I'm sure there's reasons as to why on the 29th of October uh, that that's been done. Is there anything to do with the clocks changing and? Um... Wanting to make sure that overseas viewers get the match at the right time. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast which is every day at 4pm, Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. 
he presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Who knows? Could could potentially be that, but then I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the Premier League app, which is, you know, this little UK Times. Um, and it working? Listed. It don't really yeah. apps work. <laughs> yeah. Can't wrap my head around it. Like, why? Why? It's a feeble excuse, you know. There was, as you said, there was one idiot who threw a bottle at a coach. Um, and there was an instance, I think, last season during the League Cup game, I think it was, where, you know, coins were, were tossed or dropped or whatever from the upper tier, which was Man City purposely putting Liverpool fans all in the upper tier of that stand yeah. and allowing the home fans into the bottom. Some bizarre reason they went against their own protocol. Where if anyone has seen the Etihad Stadium, and you know there's fans in there, which is a very rare sight and such when it's full. I saw it full once, but it was a concert. It was a gig. All oh, right, <laughs> it must have been. It must have been Liam Gallagher or something. <laughs> uh, and you know, as you look at it, the, the, the stands sort of go across two or three tiers to the. As you look at the the goal, yeah. you know, to the left hand side. Um, but for some reason, for the League Cup. And yes, you get more of an allocation of tickets. They decided to put all the Liverpool fans in the upper tier behind that goal and, and house the Man City fans in the bottom tier. You know, it was sort of asking for trouble. Um, but Man United play Everton. There's always, you know, a history of incidents, you could say, in that. And as you mentioned, you know, when, when Liverpool play and Man United, there's a lot more presence of police. Um, it does just feel like a bit of a feeble excuse that was sort of passed off. Um as to moving that fixture to an early kickoff, but I guess we we can only deal with hand the hand that we're dealt. And like we've said with referees, you know, it goes back to when Klopp kicked off against referees against Tottenham last year and lost his mind. That since then we've been more harshly treated. It's probably a case that you know they're finding it funny in their own little way that you know Klopp is having you know a beef or the Liverpool fans are having a bit of an upset about. These twelve thirties. Let's just give them more. You know, let let's just wind them up and just give them more because yeah. they're not going to do nothing. And like, you can imagine they're imagine doing all the calm down gestures as well as they're doing it. Oh, wait till we tell them we've done this. You know, yeah, yeah. Like they're probably angry at the fact that there's no more international breaks after November till March, and we can't be shafted then. Um, they'll find a way, but they'll, they'll find a way. Um, and we 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 won't even get into the referee in debacle because how. It's weekend's, you know, circus that comes to town is is Craig Pawson and the less said on him the better. And then David Coos, who last VAR appearance was um, you know, the assault from Pickford on Virgil Van Dyke, which he seemed nothing was wrong in, you know. Um and all of a sudden he's he's back on VAR usually for the first time in the Liverpool game in the derby, you know. Leave that to the conspiracy theorists to figure that one out because I I have no explanation as to how that's even come. No. Um, I mean, actually, as you're saying that, I found this. The written reasons were released by the FA um, for why Curtis Jones couldn't have his red card turned down. And that's one of the players we're going to be missing for the derby because he got a three-match ban. Um, and the, 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 the panel was... And I still think we should have appealed. We should have appealed against this. 
Um, but maybe we just thought it's just going to be expensive. I'm still going to lose, and they might ban us for even longer or something. But um, it was like ex-players on the panel, which is interesting. But they're all, I don't mean this in a bad way, but they're all kind of ex-players who've never got jobs as pundits. And I'm just thinking, like, I know people say ex-players should have an involvement in refereeing and things like that, but these are ex-players. And Marvin Robinson, who's, I think he's still currently a manager somewhere down the league system. Tony Agarn is another one. Um, Stuart Ripley's probably the one you've, you most remember. He used to play for Blackburn. Um, and all that I could think of is like, and I've read all these reasons and stuff, and um, normally when these go to like a higher appeal, it's kind of all like judge-type people, like lawyers, like barristers and you know, very, very learned people of the law, and it's all very posh the way it's all written up. Um, but this you know, this is just 3X footballs, and I'm just thinking this is like when you used to watch Soccer Saturday and Merson would be arguing with Charlie, whatever his name was, you know, and all of the Charlie Nicholas and There'd be all of this sort of um, arguing about whether he was or he wasn't and how oh, well, it would have been different in my day and all this kind of stuff. And um, again, I mean, I, I know they're an independent panel and we shouldn't complain, but they, they literally, um, Liverpool brought all this stuff in and they basically just said, um, yeah, because his foot was a little bit not quite, wasn't quite as bent as it might be. Um, we've decided it has to be a red. Um, and the Alexis McAllister one, I mean, he he was he was his was overturned because his foot wasn't bent. And I'm thinking, like, you know, there's there's all these new little rules coming in. So let's be let's be honest. Like this Saturday, whoever the referee is, we're going to be talking about them. Um, the only thing I'll say is that usually, usually, touch wood, it's us, it's us, it, it's it's them lot, isn't it? Them lot. I mean, they everton have kind of there must be a business now in in hating referees and having a knowledge of referees they must have encyclopedias of refereeing decisions i mean that's my worry when we go on about refs all the time that we're going to end up sounding like them um which is why i always think that we should always say like we've had a bad ref but you know what most of the time we still could have done more ourselves if we've lost or or even better we had a shit ref but look we still won whereas everton it's kind of like lino gets a throwing decision wrong in, after the three minutes and that's them you know toys thrown out the pram rattles dummy spat out rattles in in the crowd and um they lose the game basically because that that throwing went against them and the world's against them and it's all our fault um so but that's the thing right the derby there's loads to talk about about the game itself but you you almost could record a preview of the derby any time of the year couldn't you and say the same kind of things that form book is out the window um, referees going to play a part in it one way or another. They seem to always do, um, and, it's, and it's like I don't know. It's their cup final, but it's still a massive game for us. And I don't know. This season just feels a bit like I don't know. Do you remember the friendly derbies? I can remember that, but I don't know. The last time, the last few times I've been, when you when you sort of and, and you know yourself, if you go to the game nowadays, they don't hold the away fans back in for any, for any length of time. Particularly, like you're often getting out of the game. And the away fans, if you're if you're walking down Anfield Road, or at least when you could, before this unfinished uh, extra stand was built, you'd mingle in with fans of the other club, and it'd be fine. There'd be no like massive conversations or anything, but there'd be no issues. But definitely, when you're playing Everton, you kind of mingle in with them at the end, but you feel that bitterness coming out of them. And it's, I don't know, like you said as well, the difference as well when they're amongst their own army. When you get them on their own, they're different. But when they're together, there's this real bitterness and. I don't know. I'm I'm not sure how it's going to go this time because they're worried to death about what's happening to them one minute and then the next minute they have a couple of wins and think it's all fixed. Yeah, I mean, you say you maybe mean one up at the end, but that's providing they've not asked for an early dart. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, like, 
if things aren't going their way, they're not wanting to hang around and, you know, they might throw a few boos um, and I was on the way, but if, if they can get off the ground early and get down to County Road or whatever, I'm sure they will. I think, it, yeah, it was the time we drew nil-nil and they were at the old state at the end because that was like... Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I remember that. And it was like, you know, it basically like they'd won the game and you think he drew nil-nil and, and, and I wouldn't say he's he's in the draw, he's, he's clung on for a draw. Um, you know, we were wasteful that game and, you know, should have should have had them to bed. Um, but yeah, they celebrated that. Like, I'm surprised the DVDs went out for that one. Um, but nothing would give me more pleasure than on like, you know, 60, 70 minutes on Saturday lunchtime, seeing them exit the ground, you know, to tr- to try and get an early dart and maybe get a couple of pints in of, of uh, John Smith's best or whatever they drink. Um, it, it is, it's, it, it's that feeling in the air and like, you know, be, being in work this week and obviously you're working amongst Evertonians and, you know, game by game, every week, every day, you know, the banter's sliding, you know, Fridays, you're looking forward to your, to your game of the weekend. Mondays, you know, you, you come in and you dissect it. Um, but all this week, you, you've, you've just noticed that little hint in the air of, you know, ever so much more spice and bitterness. You know, like it's all that build up to the derby. And because they're coming off a win, um, you know, in their last game, which is a rarity in itself this season for them. But, you know, I think they've only had a couple in the league. Um, but, their tails are sort of up a little bit. You know, they they're they're only as good as the last game and their last game was a win. So, you know, that there's there's a sense of optimism there and, you know, given we are going to be missing a couple of individuals, um, you know, for this game. And notably like Curtis Jones, um, Andy Robertson as well, due to his shoulder injury, which from initial Report last night as we record this is kind of saying ten weeks, which is basically Christmas, which isn't good. Um, but but we'll deal with it. You know, we've we've dealt with injuries in the past, and I suppose what's people will say that's why you have a squad, and you know you'll you'll figure things out and find a way around it, and we will. Um, but yeah, they, they, there's a there's a sense of optimism in the air with them, and they feel as though okay, it's it's a mixed mixed sort of issue with Sean Dyche as to. Is he the man for them long term? But he probably is the man for them, you know, to keep them in the league, which is all they need to do. Um, the the stage where they've team. started planning the banners, the, the die shout banners, haven't they? But they've not started painting them yet. They've not got they've got the bed sheets yeah. and the paint ready to go. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, speaking to a couple of Italians, and they're, they're very much split. Um, you know, a lot of them just think you know he, he, he's barely bread and butter. And you know, agricultural football, which isn't for them. But when you think back, that's what Everton are famous for. You know, the, the dogs of war, the agricultural, who fit long to the big man up top and, you know, wait for the knockdowns and fight for Everton in the box. And you think, you know, that's what Everton are, in my mind. Everton aren't this, you know, the, the tiki tackle football, as, as the cliche goes, and, you know, playing nice stuff. They are the, the aggressive, you know, snarly, let's get it up there and love it long sort of thing. And, that's what they've got, you know. They've got Calvert Lewin, they've got this other lad Beto, who's a unit, and they've got a couple of wingers in McNeil and Harrison who get the ball down, whip it in the box, and that's all they're going to do at the weekend. You know, it's it's very very simple our game plan for what we need to prepare for, whatever. And, you know, they're not going to come and and try anything otherwise. Um, and you know, it should be a, a simple, straightforward plan for us. But they have got the 
the feeling that they can come to Anfield and maybe get something because we can't lie. We've been vulnerable. We've been, you know, susceptible to to allowing teams to score, and we've been allowing. I think we've got two clean sheets all season. Villa at home um, and last away. It was it last away? No, no. Union Saint Gerard at home. Um, you know, so two home, uh, two home clean sheets. That's it um, across this season. So it it, it wets the appetite. Um, but again, it's dampened by the half twelve. Um, you know, I think it was was it Tony Evans who sort of had that. You know, was it a free pint rule or something like that? He said on the previous podcast a while ago where, you know, every fan should be sort of given, you know, a, a couple of pints to sort of, you know, get them G'd up and give you that little extra 5% of confidence to maybe want to sing a little bit louder, maybe, yeah. you know, want to want to shout a bit more. And, you know, they put the half 12 games on to sort of negate that, you know, so, so people can't get in the pubs earlier or whatever. But at the same time, it does take away you know, a little bit of the atmosphere, you know, people are getting out of bed and just going to the game. You you sort of, you haven't got much time to build up and that's not saying you need a beer, but you know, it's like at three o'clock, you get up on a Saturday morning, you you go through your routine and you might get the ground a little bit earlier, but it is a bit of a flatness getting to the ground and, you know, this is the marquee game, I'm sure TNT Sports have paid a premium to get it and, you know, if they had it at 5.30 on a Saturday afternoon, like you know, once everyone's gone about the day and seen the previous fixtures and whatever coming, yeah, the results. Sorry, it does just give you that little bit more of a buzz, like a later fixture, especially this time of year when it's getting dark and the lights will be on, and you know, there's there's a little bit of crackle in the air, and that's what you want from the derby. Yeah, because it, it's not that well stings it. They can't do that thing where the um, the light good is up. You know that mad sign on the front that looks like a an old Google sign gone wrong. Um, they use they, they that that thing where they light Goodison up and then have the drone, don't they, above? So it goes above Anfield and then it can see, kind of see Goodison in the background and all lit up. But it's no point at half twelve, is there? No, I mean, you know, if anything, like the way the weather's planned over this weekend, all you'll see is the drone, you know, whiffing around in the air with the storm winds and you know people with hoods up and umbrellas making their way to the ground. Um, you know, it's not wet in the atmosphere, but I think. What we've got to do as a, as a club, uh, as a team, it goes hand in hand. You know, the fans have got to be up for it, and and they will be to an extent. But the club, uh, the the lads on the pitch, the team have got to be up for it. Like if you think back to our latest game, you know, which seems an absolute age, which was Brighton. Uh, we started slow, and I don't think we ever really got out of second gear um, or game. We were fortunate to go in two one at the break, weren't we? But mm. it just felt like we were were sort of bumbling our way through and. You know, we didn't really didn't really create too much, and there was a, like a lack of zip. Um, now, you know, th- there's players in this team who who have played in the derby. You know, you you instantly think you know of Virgil and that situation with Pickford. Um, you know, when like that bit between his teeth, and then you think of uh, a couple of years ago when Pickford was signing a time waste and you know falling to the floor and smirking away to himself. You know. 12 minutes in and we're going to fall on the floor and, you know, time waste and then Alisson does it, you know, like an hour later when we're a couple of goals to the good and sort of gives it back <laughs> to the <laughs> fans, which was majestic. Um, you know, we need to start fast. We need to get that bit between our teeth and that'll get the fans up for it. And, you know, if 
if it all goes hand in hand, then you know it can create that buzz in that atmosphere. But it's harder in them twelve thirty fixtures. We've got to start quick. We've got to make sure we give something for the people on the terraces to be loud about and 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 keep that up and maintain it because if it goes flat it will actually play into Everton's favour because all they're going to come for this weekend is a draw. We all have seen over the years, Deich, Burnley, you know, he's quite happy going to the big boys and doing all he can to disrupt them and go coach for football. If he can get a draw, if he can get to 60, 70 minutes and it's still drawn, he might even throw on another big lad and try and nick it. Um, And it's worked for him occasionally in the past, but that is literally their game plan and we've got to do everything we can to not allow that to happen we've got to be fast we've got to be in the face we've got to be aggressive but tempered in what we do and you know we've got to frustrate them and we've got to give that man in the middle Mr Paulson no opportunity to make decisions that could sway the game but as you said you know they're going to see it as whatever the referee does in this game even if he does absolutely nothing it'll still be the referee's fault and mm. the issues we've had with the referee, you know, he's he's got a poison chalice because he's probably going to come out of the game being harmed by both sets of fans. But if we can get to the 90-minute mark or 96 minutes, 97 minutes as games are these days and not really have noticed him, that's probably the best we can hope for, but it's highly unlikely. Yeah, and I think the role we get as fans or those of us who were able to go get as fans is um, don't let them kill the game. So... That's one of the things they'll do is they'll... Um, I mean, and to be fair, we, we've done that in down the years in Europe. We've sort of found ways to silence the opposition by just being patient and stuff like that. And it's, it's done in a different way with the with the Daesh and his tractors and stuff. But it's, um, you know, time-wasting, taking forever with, with free kicks, getting free kicks for nothing. Um, not not bookable free kicks, but, you know, just falling to the ground at the slightest touch um, so that we, you know, our attack breaks down... Um, it's all just all this the way that they just play that game um and funnily enough um we then don't get the free kick when one of the big lumbering oafs um you know sends one of our players flying in the box for a corner or something you know it's always sort of two standards that seem to go on but as a, as a fan what we, what we as fans what we get to do is we get to um you know make a din when something bad has happened to us get the referee to the point where he's like god i've got to make a decision here and hopefully make the right one um, you know, just just get that atmosphere going. Just just frighten the life out of them at times, and just just keep the pressure on. Um, they will try and kill the game, and what we shouldn't do as fans is 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 um walk into that trap and just sort of sit back, arms folded, waiting for something to happen. You know, um, there's a reason the copper known as the twelfth man. There's a reason the Solly was renamed the twelfth man. It's it's about getting that extra that extra body almost in the sense that the the voice of the cop, you know, the old. You know, the old saying that the cop would, would suck the ball into the back of the net, it's not far off wrong. I mean, it's a sort of, sort of slightly poetical representation of what really happened, but um, you've seen it yourself at Anfield. There'd be some player just planning to do something, and when the whole of Anfield shouts <laughs> shouts loud, that player panics. And when they panic, we can we can deal with that. And that's, you know, for all the great pressing stuff we do, the next, you know, when the 12th man presses as well, it makes a hell of a difference. Um, as far as players who are going to be fit is concerned, I mean, I think the first the first pitches of training are coming through now, aren't they? And we're seeing some. Um, I'll just mention one of them quick. Actually, is Gakpo. Whether he, whether we should start him or not, it depends on how everyone feels. I suppose he's the right guy for this game. Should we bring him on later? Um, but if he's fit, at least we've got an option on the bench because that was a worry 
Um, you know, how long was he really going to be out? But I just saw an interesting piece the other day. Um, I think the club took him down to the Baltic Triangle for some sort of promo work. Um, and he was saying like about the fans, when you play home and away, you always hear him, always feel the support they give, always positive as well. Um, and that's why you're going to go the next step a little bit further. You want to fight for them as well. It's together. But the other interesting thing is he's saying, you know, he's really settling into the city because he's saying when he was on vacation and everything, back home in the Netherlands, at one point I started missing, you know, we wanted to be here because um, he really likes it here. When you play at a club like Liverpool, I never won a prize now here, but I can imagine it feels slightly different than with other clubs. So, um, you know, and this is, this is what we do. I mean, I know every club will say it with their fans, but there is a special relationship with us and the players and we we, we have their back. And as you said, and I've said time and time again, it's not even about how, how good you are, it's how hard you try that makes you, that we that make, make sure we've got your back. Um, and that takes me on to another player quickly as well. He's Nunes, maybe maybe Gatpo's biggest rival for a place in the starting lineup. Um, and apparently he was uh, excellent in midweek against Brazil. So, if he's back, considering whatever travelling he's had to do, um, maybe some tough decisions to make for Klopp, but to me, it's those front men that's going to make this game for us. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a little highlight reel of, of Nunes against Brazil, and it's it's reminiscent of what I've been seeing in a red shirt this season, you know, his, his all-round game yeah. has come on, leaps and bounds. You know, like he, he's not the finished article, you know, and we, we know that. We knew that when we signed him. Um, you know, the, the term often, you know, prescribed to him was he's raw. But, you know, he's got all the credentials there and you're seeing it week by week. You know, if you if you took a clip of Darwin Nunes, you know, this time last year to where he is now, you'd, you know, you'd see a hell of a lot of development in him. And his, his link-up play, his touch, you know, his, his knowledge of, of what to do and where to do it is, is coming on a hell of a lot. And... You know, he finished his goal lovely midweek against Brazil, little dive now that he sort of, you know, linked up with the wide man, got himself into the box and just sort of stopped and held position and allowed the space to develop for himself. Um, and then a, a low whip ball and he chose that, you know, a dive net about three foot off the floor and, and, and flies it past Edison. Who would have thought that, you know, <laughs> Alison Becker on the bench from Brazil wasn't the best option in goal. Um, you know, well, you know, here we are. Um, Alisson I'm sure has enjoyed a round trip to Brazil and probably enjoyed a few barbecues while he's there because he knows whoever this couldn't Brazil gaffer is that he doesn't fancy him so he had a little jolly up yeah he's had, he's had the chance to pick up like whatever like his Yorkshire's tea or his like Cadbury's fingers or whatever his equivalent is hasn't he I suppose but it, it, for Alisson I'm sure this just a piece of ski <laughs> he, he, he's not a man for a Yorkshire tea and a chocolate finger <laughs> but um, you know he, he's, he's obviously gone through the travel but he'll be back he'll be fresh and ready um, you know, we obviously the the expenditure of travel time, but you know, he's probably bested enough. Um, and yeah, you know, the, the concern is the South American lads. I think you know, of the the four who went away, um, you know, Diaz, Darwin, McAllister played ninety minutes. I think in both games for the countries, but McAllister was the last one to play on early hours of Wednesday morning UK time over in Peru. So he's had the furthest travel, but I think. In comparison to the recent fixture, um, you know, the 12 30 after the international break against Wolves, he was playing at altitude and he got back a day later. So potentially that might, you know, give us the option to start him at the weekend. Um, mm-hmm. Because with a, with a couple of men like that, we in there, if, if he's not really available and 
Curtis Jones surprisingly is saving a ban longer than Darren England, who's back in, you know, officiating duty this weekend, which leaves, you know, a lot to be desired with the PGMOL, but that's where we are with them. Yeah. Um the lads up top, yeah, the, there's competition for places. Gakko being back, I think, is a surprise, but it's a welcome surprise. Um how fit he is, we will find out at the weekend in terms of being able to maybe start or feature from the bench. Um, Jot had only got a small amount of minutes of Portugal, so you'd imagine he is fresh and Mo Salah is always fresh. Um, so for me, I would imagine it's Salah, Jota, and then one from Diaz or Darwin to start, with the likelihood being whoever doesn't will probably come on at around the 60 minute mark for the other, um, you know, just to manage the minutes given the exploits of the country and, and travel and stuff like that. Um, but what we've got is we've got options, we've got goals, we've got talents, um, and that's more than what Everton have got. So I think that sort of ends that debate in terms of who's got what what best up top in terms of the red and blue side of this city. Yeah, and um, I believe um, as well, talking to Salah, something he's done, I, I don't think this is the place to, to, to do all the talk about this now because it's football's a thing that used to escape from, from, from shitty stuff, wherever it is, whether it's personally shitty stuff or worldwide shitty stuff. And it's fair to say that Israel and Gaza is going through I mean, shitty stuff isn't the word to describe it, but um, it's good of him to sort of speak out and um, basically speak about the people because whatever's going on with people with with arms and guns and bullets and stuff, there's people suffering, and um, it was good good for Salah to kind of be able to to say something and and hopefully no one at UEFA or FIFA deciding it counts as political and getting him in trouble for it. But um, I do like to see that our footballers kind of speak up, you know, because they've got a platform that, that few of us could ever imagine having um, and it's, you know as he said, he's calling on world leaders to come together to prevent further slaughter of innocent souls, humanity must prevail, so good on good on Mo for that um, at the other end of the pitch then you've already, as you said, Robbo's going to be out till Christmas, we're going to have to get Costas in and see how good he is, I mean someone was saying maybe get Gomez to play on the left hand side, I don't know um, I kind of get where they're coming from because he's more central defender headed and we've said for a while that maybe the the, the sort of left back role could be more uh, uh, more suitable for someone who's got the sort of central defender sort of mindset as well. Um, so that's one interesting option. But at least on the other side, from what we can tell, Trent is going to be back because he played. I think he played the full game for England in the friendly, and then he was left out because Southgate made eleven changes for the game that the I think they won the other day. I didn't really pay much interest in it. Um, Henderson was booed at that, which all of a sudden is a bad thing. Yeah. You know, when Barnes was booed for England years ago, probably nothing, um, maybe except his colour, that wasn't really considered such a bad thing. But anyway, um, Trent's back um, by the sounds of it, and we have missed him. Yeah, I mean, it, it sums it up like probably one of England's best footballers, and you can't get a start in a competitive game. You know, their loss. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we've said it before. Like, I'd imagine, you know, he, he, he spends his time wisely and not playing for England he seems to have signed up to this new thing with a, a multitude of other world sports stars and Alpine F1 racing yes that's uh, yeah. which is interesting um, you know as, as an NFL fan there's a couple of huge names in the NFL there um, Mr Taylor Swift as he's now known Travis Kelsey um, Holmes the quarterback for Kansas probably the you know the face of the NFL at the moment um, Rory McIlroy Juan Mata for some bizarre reason too yeah. well for the um, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McKellen, yeah, the Wrexham guys there, in the Wrexham fans, 
Joshua as well. I don't, I don't know how it all works, but I think there's a there's an underlying connection to Redbird, which have obviously got a connection to FSG, which you know all sorts of ties in with each other. One interesting thing on that though is Trent's a Red Bull athlete, and I was going to say Alpine are a rival of Red Bull, but that's like saying Everton are a rival of Liverpool. So yeah, we'll go on from that. Yeah, if you, if you know F one, you know it. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's basically you are racing a Renault against a Ferrari, um, but he, he doesn't play for England, which is a blessing because he's probably kept himself ticking over. Um, you know, he got ninety minutes under his belt, and that was I think last Thursday. So yeah, he's fresh. Um, the left back situation is one that we've got to figure out. So I think there's a young lad in the the under twenty ones, Luke Chambers, who was rumoured to be going to Bayer Leverkusen in the summer. Um, Javi Alonso's Bayer Leverkusen, which are doing very well by all by all accounts as well in Germany, um, and didn't didn't make that move for one reason or another. And now we might see him. Um, you know, we've got Europa League next week. We have got Carabao Cup the following week. Um, you know, there could be an opportunity where we see him there. Um, Gomez at left-back wouldn't be the worst thing for me. I think he did play there, you know, in the Brendan Rodgers era, which we've all sort of blanked from our mind, especially <laughs> the latter stage of that. But I wouldn't be averse to, you know, maybe going to a back three at times and maybe, you know, Virgil, Canate, Gomez as a back three, allowing Trent to play more of a, a wing-back sort of midfield role, which because... That's sort of where he's playing anyway. He's, he's drifting in field, but he's a lot more advanced than what he was. And Costas, weirdly enough, lined up left wing Finkanese in the international fixtures. So, you know, we could play down there and then, you know, play two in midfield, given, you know, we might be a little bit light for numbers, but um, then allowing us just to play it from free. It's, it's an option that we could do. Um, I'm sure, you know, those in coaching positions are paid plenty of cash. To figure these things out and what we've got especially in, in the likes of Gomez is a lad who, who can probably play anywhere across the back line and apart from the game against Pedro Neto um, against Wolves he's, he has tended to do pretty well this season so I'd imagine we'll be we'll be okay to figure things out but wouldn't be surprised if we've seen a couple of young lads maybe in the Europa League and the Carabao um, which is always good to see because we like to see young players developing and coming through the system and you know, we, we've touched on we're not the most financially laden club in the transfer market. So if we can get one or two lads like Jarrell Kwanzaa, for example, coming through, it does give us, you know, a little bit of a save and, and a boost in terms of what we're getting from the academy. Yeah, and I think the other thing as well is if we if we bring these lads through and it turns out that um, as good as they are, we, we've, we've got the money together to buy someone better. We probably will. We'll go and buy someone better if we've got the cash and we don't need it in other places. But by giving them these chances and these 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 moments in big games, you're either finding out the good enough for you, in which case you don't need to spend cash anyway. Um, Trent Alexander Arnold, example one. Um, or you're finding that you've got a player that you can sell for a bit of wedge, you know. So you can sell a, a player for seven million maybe in a couple of years' time. That rather than giving them away when the contract comes to an end, um, which all you know. Harry Wilson is a classic example. Yeah. Yeah, so you go, you know, you, you just... And, and, there's, and there's been others. I mean, there's even some where we've done... I mean, we've not taken them up on it, but we've done buyback fees in, in, as part of it, haven't we, where we've got a fixed amount we can buy them back for if they turn out to be... We shouldn't have sold them, they were that good. You know, we've, we've done all kinds of good business like that, and I think the only real way you can do that business, though, is by just sort of putting them in the shop window, basically, um, which, coincidentally, gives you the chance to um, to try them out for yourselves as well and see 
see what you've got because it's a long season. You don't know what kind of injuries are going to come up. And like, you know, the one to Robbo, I don't think any of us sort of would have said, God, we're going to have no Robbo from the from the internationals until um, until next year. That's, you know, Robbo's next game will be in front of the um, Upper Annie Road when it's been opened. You know, that no, none of us expected that. Although probably we did because we didn't expect it to take that long for the stadium to open. Um, football, though, I mean, I'm going to say football's changed. I mean, the derby, that's not changed. That's always the same. And it doesn't matter what's happening in the league table. It doesn't matter what the wider thing is. I mean, it would matter. I mean, let's face it. If we were playing them around field to send them down into Division 1 or whatever it's called these days, the championship, um, we, we it would have a bit more significance. But at the, at the end of the day, if it's just to see them move from 16th to 17th in, in October, it's just, it's just it's a big game. It's just a game we all wait for. It's that thing on Monday as well, being the one who can go in work um, and not hide, or, or, or being the one who goes in work more accurately and sees where people are hiding. All those cocky people suddenly go quiet and all that. Um, that doesn't change. But um, something you spotted, maybe just to finish off this week, is football maybe has changed in other ways. Because I can remember going to Melwood once and being told, yeah, the players, there's no cash here for the tills um, in the canteen. The players pay their own, all the wages, pay, pay for the food. And at the time, there was sort of some sort of smart-looking stuff in there, but there's still a lot like traditional. And then I can remember watching sort of documentaries where they'd go around and they'd get the, the woman from from the canteen who'd worked there for years, and she knew what all the players liked. And it's all like, oh, you know, sausage and egg for him, and uh, hot pot for them, or scouse for him, or whatever. And it was all like traditional meals. But now it, it's all changed, hasn't it? From what you were saying, I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, so literally just before we uh, started recording, there's obviously a video clip of the, the lads coming back from um, international duty and probably all reporting for training for the first time today. I'd imagine a couple of them have maybe been back yesterday, um, depending on where they were playing. Um, when they were playing and so on and so forth but if someone's took a screenshot of the uh, Axe's snack selection table <laughs> and, um, so your current selection of snacks are if you are interested uh, go curry and rice which sounds quite appealing mm. uh, sp- spiced olives um, I'm not sure many scouts have probably put spiced olives on their menu list um, a peanut and uh, chocolate cookie which was you no know, one for the sweet tooth 
a kombucha, which I did actually meant to Google while we were actually recording this, but I apologies. I've not found I see what that is. Uh, and it's like it's a drink, it's um sometimes known as tea fungus apparently, or Manchurian mushroom. So yeah, I don't I'll give that a wide berth, but it's probably very nice. Yeah, and if you don't fancy that, well, there's a strawberry water, um, you know, because <laughs> why have Kirby's finest water when you can have strawberry flavored water? Um, yeah, it's it as you say, it's it's not it's not the hot pot, it's not the sausage and egg, it's not the cup of tea and fresh slice of modern anymore. It's it's certainly changed football these days. Um, but yeah, just before we we do finish, um, I just want to give a shout out to Eddie Gibbs. Obviously, he was. Behind the scenes, a huge part of Anfield Index. Um, he got in touch with me around about six, seven weeks ago now. I think it was just before uh, the Villa game and asked me if I wanted to do um, some TV work for TNT Sports. Surprisingly, um, I had no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. I had to go down the ground and basically do like a little interview. Um, figured out pretty quickly. He kept asking me questions about the Everton game. Um, Plan. So... I don't know how this is going to look, um, but they're going to put a feature out. Um, so basically, before the Everton game, sometime on the TNT production, they'll probably play this video of a selection of fans sort of giving their feelings and thoughts on Liverpool, on the Derby, on Everton. Um, so yeah, maybe look out for me if you might recognise the voice, but I'm, I'm, I wear the Navy T-shirt. I'm sort of being filmed on a wall <laughs> um, with the Ray Clemens memorial behind me um, I don't even remember what I said <laughs> I basically shot down Everton um, so yeah I'm sure someone will record it for me um, I hope it's on social media as well hopefully yeah I think the, the producers of the of the piece put it out there um, you know I think it's basically a feature to do for most clubs across the season um, I think it's called This Is um, so like there's obviously This Is Liverpool This One Will Be and like This Is Arsenal or whatever they've done Um and yeah, just a little snapshot of, of things. So maybe look out for me if if I've said anything towards. Please let me know. Um, there's one thing. Yeah. That, there's one thing they're not going to show. There isn't the one thing which isn't going to get on social media or get shown because I think they just switched the cameras off, haven't they? Just as you'd finish filming. But um, yeah. I mean, basically, an interview asking you what it's like in Liverpool and the lead up to the derby and all the rest of it, and then this happens. Yeah. So you know, they they've done the questions. Um, you know, ten fifteen minutes or so, whatever, and. The, the lads who were doing the production, um, you know, with all due credit, were not from Liverpool and were like, oh, what, what's this sort of like around here? And then some lad jumps up on the wall, drops his kecks and shows his backside to the camera. <laughs> and basically, he said, that's what it's like around here. Um, <laughs> and he was like, fair enough, summed up. Unfortunately, the cameras were rolling and didn't capture it and it probably wouldn't make uh, daytime television. But yeah, if anyone was after a, a snapshot of what the city's like, um, then, then that's that. So yeah, just just want to thank Eddie for for thinking of me um, as someone who lives in the around the city and allowing me to to put my um, thoughts and opinions on the derby and Liverpool out there. And to those of you who do listen, um, you know, thanks for that because you know without people listening to us rabbits on each week, then you know we wouldn't have a podcast and a platform to do it on. No, no, that's spot on, and you know. Thanks as always, I say at the end of every podcast, thanks for listening, I do mean it. Thanks to Eddie for sorting that for you as well. And thanks to BT, um, now TNT, from day one when they were covering football, they wanted to know what the fans think. I got contacted before they went on air the first time. Jake Humphreys of all people spoke to me on the phone a couple of times asking questions about being a Red in the city and so on. 
And it's good to know that that's still going to this day, that they're still getting fans' views out there and that you can, if you're watching TNT, you can see and hear a, a fan of Liverpool giving you an idea of what it's like, giving you a taste of what it's like in this city in the lead-up to a derby. Um, but that is it from us for now. Um, there's a derby to look forward to. I hope we're all smiling about it this time next week. I hope we're all smiling on Monday. Those of us you've got to go and face people um, who've been a bit cocky this week wearing the blue. I hope it's. Uh, hope they've all quietened down again next week because that'll mean we've done well in the derby and that whether or not the referee played a part in it, we'll never know for now. We'll find out soon, won't we? But that is it for us for this week. So again, thanks for listening. Thanks to Jay. And we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.